Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. Their courage will astound you. Their stories will move you. Their faith will inspire you. Welcome to Great Stories About Great Saints on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome indeed to this hour of uh, Great Stories About Great Saints. Well, hi, it's me, Josh Raymond, uh, who you normally hear during this hour of The Inner Life. We're doing something just a little different today because of this being the solemnity of all saints. All day long here on Relevant Radio, we're devoting our programs to telling about the lives of some of these holy men and women, the saints, that hopefully inspire all of us, you and me, inspire us to live lives dedicated to God. They're those examples of how we, too, can live lives of heroic virtue. It is possible. It is possible. It takes work. It takes work, takes a lot of time and prayer, but it is possible. So today here during the uh, this hour of the inner life, we're going to look at a couple of people. I also want to remind you, too, that this day, the Solemnity of All Saints, All Saints Day, it is a holy day of obligation. So if, if you haven't been to Mass yet this morning, make sure you look up what time your parish is going to be celebrating Mass today and uh, make plans to attend. But like I say, want to look at two different people today. During the first half of the show, uh, going to look at somebody who I, I just think has such a, a beautiful and fascinating life. Uh, second half of the hour, we're going to look at the life of St. Mother Teresa, so stay with me as we talk about her life. Very, very famous, but maybe not quite as famous is the saint we're going to look at actually on the road to sainthood. Uh, here during this first part of the hour, going to look at the life of Blessed Miguel Pro. And joining me uh, to help us kind of unpack the life, tell the story of this beatified uh, person on the road to sainthood, Father Tom Wilson is here with me today. And Father Tom Wilson is a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. He's the pastor of All Saints Catholic Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Father Wilson, welcome back to the Inner Life. Well, this is uh, your your namesake parish feast day here, so got to be a bit exciting day for everyone in your parish community. Absolutely, patronal feast day. Uh, good crowds at mass. Uh, very exciting for the kids. We uh, get a lot of saint related carnival games in the afternoon for them. They're 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 ready to go, and 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 so am I. So uh, excellent. It's a, it's a great day and a great great feast day for the church and obviously for us here locally as well. Yeah, you know, of all the different things that we could have as the gospel reading, and I want to get to Blessed Miguel Pro here uh, very quickly, but I, I, you know, every year I, I go, oh yeah, I forgot that we have the Beatitudes as the gospel reading that gives us kind of this outline of what it really means to be a saint. And uh, it, it just points us back to some of the very first words Jesus ever spoke in public to a crowd. Uh, that's what he starts with, and that's kind of like the marching orders that all of us get then. Here, this is how you can become a saint. And then at the end of his life, he says, go out and make more saints. He gives that great commission, go and baptize in, in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and uh, teach them to observe all I've commanded you. Go to the ends of the earth. Yeah, that's great, and you know the the beauty of the of the Beatitudes, I think, and the kind of the, the the message that I that I use for All Saints homily is the the recognition that um, what saints do and what Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes and observes in the Beatitudes is that um, uh, saints recognize the presence of God in the moment, even in even in the difficult circumstances, and so. Uh, when they're being persecuted, um, uh, when they're mourning, when they're grieving, uh, they're still able to they're still able to keep their sights on Christ and the and the vision of the uh, of the glory of God. So one of the many things that they uh, that they teach us is to is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And in the in the Beatitudes, essentially, what we have is a lesson to say, you know what, um, in the current time, it could be difficult. But enduring that, recognizing Jesus is present in that, 
and looking forward into uh, his glory is what uh, leads us into uh, what the Lord promises to us and what the Lord desires us to, to, to have in in heaven. So um, Beatitudes, Beatitudes help us to um, uh, understand what is now, uh, but also look forward to uh, what is in the future. Yeah. Well, and if there's, you know, as you're talking about, a saint is somebody who's able to keep their eyes fixed on Christ even when times are difficult, even when there are those moments of persecution. Uh, it's hard to think of anybody who was dealing with much more persecution in so much of his life, especially when he said, okay, I am going to devote my life to Christ and to the Church. Blessed Miguel Pro, he really... That that's that's really kind of the story of his life is just keeping focused on Christ, serving others through his priestly ministry, but always, always from the even before he's ordained, he's under this persecution in Mexico. Yeah, it's uh, the the story of Miguel Pro is is really a fantastic one of of, of courage and, and and perseverance and. Uh, willingness to to stand up for the the truth and the glory of God uh, in the midst of of really intense um, uh, persecution and even his own individual suffering. I think uh, uh, you know I, a lot of people may be familiar with his with his martyrdom being uh, executed in the, in in the public forum in um, in in Mexico in the late 1920s. Uh, but what might not be as, uh, as as well known about his story, Josh, is that he he suffered intensely physically. He had some serious right. stomach problems. I'm not sure if it was cancer or whatever. And actually, it was um, by by God's providence, really. It was that it was that personal suffering that he was enduring in that sickness that persuaded his Jesuit superiors to allow him to go back to Mexico. I mean, they had. Uh, they had understood, understandably, um, you know, escaped the country during during the persecutions, and they went and did their formation uh, elsewhere. He eventually studied in um, in Spain, taught in Nicaragua, but but really had a desire to to go back. Really, at the height of of these um, uh, persecutions from the from the socialist government in in Mexico, and they didn't want they didn't really want him to do it, but but because he was so ill. Um, they thought, okay, we need to get him back closer to his family and 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 that sort of thing, and that that really was the was the trigger that that um, uh, convinced his superiors to allow him to return to Mexico and to serve his his brothers and sisters in uh, in Mexico and um, do a, a heroic uh, job of, of serving and. Uh, giving glory to God and, and eventually becoming a martyr. So l- let's talk about the setting that Miguel is born into here, because when I think for most of us as maybe U.S. Americans in the North American continent, uh, if if you've been Catholic for any amount of time, you've seen that image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and I, I can remember even before I was a Catholic, I was familiar with it just because of the Hispanic population where I lived. I would see that image like on the back windshield as a decal on, on cars of the Hispanic people who drive around. Or I'd see it at different events where there was that, that Latino or Latina kind of presence there. And so when just in a general religious sense, it's hard for me to think of anything other than Our Lady of Guadalupe and the devotion that Mexicans have from that transformation of what happened there with with Our Lady appearing to St. Juan Diego and the conversions that happen out of that. It transforms that country. But then we come to the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and the Mexican government really has it out for the catholic church. Yeah, yeah, this is uh this is the middle of a really uh, uh Miguel is Miguel is born into uh a situation of of uh of government hostility towards the towards the church uh and it really gets it gets intense in the um like the middle teens, nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen uh time range in which he had already 
uh, entered the entered the order, and it really is difficult, I think, Josh, as you say, for 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 those of us who are who are Catholic and we understand the um, the spiritual heritage of of Mexico and Our Lady of Guadalupe and uh, the massive transformation and conversions that came over the uh, the that part of of North America with the presence of of, of Our Lady, and it, it really it almost seems unimaginable that uh, the the leadership of the country would um, would turn would really turn on its people. I mean, it turned on its people uh, in the form of in the form of the uh, really aggressive. Uh, and unsubtle attacks on the church, and uh, eventually um, passing laws saying that there could be no public ministry. Literally, churches were uh, were closed uh, in certain portions of the country, and uh, it really is it's it's almost it's almost unimaginable that something like like that could happen. But then we think, Josh, um, you know, what is the what's the constant struggle of the world against God, and that is the the world wants to replace God. The world wants to replace God, and so you have a you have a a, a power crazed government that wants to that wants to control every aspect and the thought processes of of the people. And so, what do they do? They they pick out the the people and the institution of of the church, which um, which is the the one that's responsible for uh, influencing them morally and, and and spiritually, and they want to have no competition for the minds and hearts of people. So they try to crush out the competition, and and replace God. And you know, as as surprising as it as it sort of seems on the surface, with Mexico being such a such a Catholic country, um, it's not difficult to go back in history and and see. Uh, very, very similar kinds of things where um, world powers simply want to have want to be all powerful, and so they uh, they they go after and they they attack the church, they attack disciples, they attack Christianity uh, because that is a competitor for the for the hearts and minds of of people, and yeah. uh, and that's what that's what Miguel uh, was 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 brought up in. Um, you know, that's again at the at the height of it. They had to escape, uh, leave the country, and then uh, and then return, and give his entire life to, to to make sure that that his people were were served and 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 received the sacraments in in some very creative ways. Um, I, I truthfully, I don't know if there's actually been a a movie made about Miguel's life, but. Uh, it's a great story. If somebody's got some talents for screenwriting and uh, and that sort of thing, it's it it it's a great story. Yeah. It's well, story. as you're talking about that, that that's that's one of the things that first made me say because uh, I, I I love kind of the James Bond type of movies, and with Blessed Miguel, you have that kind of atmosphere that he's living in. You know where. Um, it's not that he's trying to do spy clandestine work because that's his job, but it is, it becomes his job because of the Mexican government where, um, you know, any priest who might speak out against the government, they had laws that were put into their constitution where they could spend five years in prison. If a priest was seen wearing clerics or other clothing or vestments of a priest outside of the church, it could bring a fine of 500 pesos in many areas throughout Mexico at this time. Catholic churches were just completely shut down, closed up, and and many of the priests were killed. And those that weren't killed, well, then they did what Miguel did. They started risking their lives by serving others, offering the sacraments secretly, covertly. And my understanding is that Miguel, he would kind of go back and forth. He'd go north of the Mexican border get a little reprieve, but then he'd come back into Mexico time and time again, and a lot of times he'd be dressed in these different disguises as a peasant, as somebody who's homeless, and then be able to kind of fly under the radar to be able to come in and celebrate Mass and offer confession and, and the other sacraments for people who needed it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fast. I mean, it's just fascinating. The uh, 
the the creativity and the ingenuity that he had. Uh, I you know he he would use disguises as um, as, as broad as uh, uh, kind of an elite. Um, uh you know well well educated uh business person uh down to like you say the the, the peasant and the uh and and the beggar to a, a police officer and a auto mechanic and and all those kinds of he 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 dressed up as a uh, as as an auto mechanic to 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 go into a, a car factory and, and do catechesis for all the employees there. Um, it's just uh, it's fascinating and it's uh, one of the one of the things that um, you know I was as I was reviewing for this Josh is that uh, he's obviously courageous uh, but. But the man is also very creative and and prudent. I mean, he's he's prudent in his in his service of of the people, and he's doing what he needs to do to sneak around and uh, you know get around these these uh, oppressive anti-Catholic uh, laws and structures and and climate. Uh, but he and, and and he does it. He does it just in a in a wise way. And you know, you think sometimes, um, you know, particularly in in my life, and you know, dealing with young men and their and their zeal and their energy and their desire to, you know, to to put up the good fight and and all that kind of stuff. We can sometimes get ahead of the skis and and want to put up the fight, but not be prudent about it and uh, can create a can create a mess around it. Uh, but you know, uh, Miguel didn't do that. He, it's like, okay, this is, this is what I have to do. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this quietly. I'm going to do this under disguise. I'm not going to draw attention to myself. Uh, I'm certainly not going to do anything that's going to put my people at risk, uh, in terms of my, my, my service and, and getting the sacraments to them. So, Um, he's really a fantastic. I mean, he's just a he's he's he he's a model of heroism, but I think he's also a a, a model of of prudence in his heroism as well. Right. Well, and even as he's doing this, as you said before, he's dealing with these debilitating stomach issues. He has to have yeah. surgery for ulcers. He sometimes is doubled over in pain because of that. Uh, if you've just joined us, we're talking today here uh, about the life of Blessed Miguel Pro, talking with Father Tom Wilson, the pastor of All Saints Catholic Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Today here on Relevant Radio all day long for this solemnity of All Saints Day, well, we're talking about the saints. Great stories about great saints all day long. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to turn and look at the life of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. But right now, again, still talking about the life of Blessed Miguel Pro. And so, Father, you kind of referenced that he has this public square uh, execution, his martyrdom that happens here. So Miguel, along with two of his brothers, two biological brothers, the three of them are arrested they're framed for this assassination attempt on the not the current president of Mexico, but the prior president. And one person who is interrogated acknowledges, confesses to his involvement with this assassination attempt and actually testifies that Miguel and his two brothers were not involved. But even with that testimony, the current president without any trial, without any due process, he sentences Miguel and his brothers to execution, sentenced to death by firing squad. And so that's where we really see these remarkable images the very next day. The president wanted the execution meticulously photographed and to have these images in the newspaper throughout the country, running throughout the country in the coming days. And thinking that this would scare any sort of rebels there fighting for religious freedom, and it really has the opposite effect. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's that's the history and the 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 seed of um, the seed of Christianity growing uh, throughout the history of the Church. Josh is uh, martyrdom is the is the seedbed of the of, of the Church and the, and the faith growing, and um, you know obviously the 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 president. Uh, completely underestimated the the resolve and the and the faith of the of the people and you know what do um, 
what do power hungry people do they try to they try to intimidate they try to to put fear uh into the hearts of people um and they you know they they don't do it by taking action against everyone they do it by taking action against uh enough people uh and and particularly i, I would say high profile people to make everyone else uh uh, fear and and hide and and uh, avoid doing uh, what what they um, uh, are want to prevent them from doing. And as you said, it was it it, it had the exact opposite effect. His um, uh, his funeral had um, had forty thousand people attend. Uh, the notes on the the notes on the burial is that there were twenty thousand people at the uh, at, at at the cemetery, and it really. Um, uh, it actually it actually provided energy to the Cristeros who were um uh energetically uh, opposing the uh the anti Catholic and the anti uh, religious freedom dictates of 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 the government and um uh, at least officially uh just a, just a year or two after uh after Miguel's uh, martyrdom uh, those some of those things officially came off the books, although they they they, they sort of unofficially um, still lived with it for for another decade or right, two right. Um, uh, with, with that. But but it really it it energized uh, it energized and and um, uh, that I mean it, it kind of makes sense. People we long for heroes, Josh. Everybody right. we, we 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 long for heroes and. Um, everybody, everybody saw a hero. Well, and even the words, even the words that he says as he walks to his execution, you know, he blesses the soldiers as he goes out there. He kneels, he prays. There's photographs you can see of him praying before he's going to be executed. Um, He then um, holds his arms out, raises them in this imitation of Christ on the cross, and then he says to those who are just going to shoot him momentarily, he says, may God have mercy on you, may God bless you, and then he prays, Lord, you know that I am innocent with all my heart, I forgive my enemies. And then the the very famous words that I think most people who are familiar with him know, uh, viva Christo Rey, long live Christ the King. And those are his last words, words of blessing of forgiveness, and then calling out to Christ and saying, you are everything. Going back to what you said at the very beginning, you know, that that a saint is someone, even in those most difficult moments, we keep our eyes on Christ. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fantastic it's a it's a grisly image, but a fantastic image at the at the same time, Josh. And we, you know, if we think about um you know our our salvation and and in Christ crucified on on the cross it's a uh it's a it, it's a grisly and an uncomfortable image uh but it is the it is the image that leads us that leads us to glory and and we see that um we see that emulated uh by 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 Miguel and his uh complete and total fidelity to uh, to Christ and and His people, and uh, declaring it by His uh, declaring it by His actions, and declaring it by uh, by His words um, in His in His final words before His before His martyrdom. Uh, you know, this is such a dramatic martyrdom. A lot of us might only face small little annoyances or difficulties in our life. How do you think we can still have that attitude of blessed Miguel as we look at the things that approach us in our lives? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I I, I think that um, I'm I'm big on habits, Josh. I just think that um, I just think that uh, really the the life of the life of faith is is a life of habits, and um, if our uh, if our habits veer towards mercy, uh, forgiveness, focus on God, um, we are going to we are going to reveal that more and more in our in our actions and and behavior. Uh, and uh, so, if we have a habit of um, trying to be a little bit understanding, at least, and a habit of of forgiving uh, people who 
uh, have gotten under our skin or haven't done what we asked them to do or or whatever those things are if as we develop the habit of of, of forgiving them uh, in in the small things then we will be prepared and ready uh, to do forgiveness and, and mercy on others uh, that is in far greater things and, and perhaps far more heroically uh, like like we see in uh, in in Miguel yeah. uh, and you know you know I, again I, I think that um, it's it's important for all of us to realize and and, and particularly in in such a dramatic situation as uh, as as Miguel pro that uh, his life built up to that moment. Right. I mean, right. It, you know, he didn't. He didn't just sort of get pulled off the street uh, cold by in a in a trumped up um, charge. Uh, he had lived a life of fidelity for a very long time, um, and uh, and and so was prepared for that moment when uh, when it came to to give the ultimate testimony and. Uh, witness to to Christ and an example for all of us. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, what what we live in culturally, what we live in, you know, in our in our workplaces, oftentimes, and the uh, the, the, the the tension and the and the discomfort and the misunderstanding and the unfair treatment and and all those sorts of things that we uh, that we live in. All of those things give us an opportunity to develop to, to develop the habits, yep. uh, the habits of forgiveness, the habits of faithfulness. Father, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about the life of Blessed Miguel. We've got about 30 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, we are grateful for uh, the blessing of the saints, the, the, the gift of the martyrs who uh, reveal to us your, your goodness and your glory. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and can continue to declare him with all of our actions and words. Viva Cristo Rey. May Almighty God bless our listeners and their families, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we've talked about the life of Blessed Miguel Pro. Coming up next, we're going to look at the life of a beloved saint of our time, St. Mother Teresa. Next. The Relevant Radio Studio line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, flexible premium life insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. All Saints Day means all saints all day. Incredible journeys of faith, heroic holiness. Welcome back to great stories about great saints on Relevant Radio. And the Relevant Radio app. That's right. Great stories about great saints. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. This is the normal hour where you hear the inner life. And we're talking with a couple of our different regular spiritual directors today, but really focusing on the lives of holy men and women, the saints that inspire us to live lives dedicated to God, those examples, uh, the men and women who have lived those lives, giving us that example of how we too can strive to live lives of heroic virtue. Started out the hour talking about Blessed Miguel Pro. If you just joined us, I would very much encourage you to go back and listen to the full podcast when it's posted after the end of the hour. You can find that at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And any of the hours today, all day long, we're talking about the lives of different saints here, every half hour dedicated to a different saint, or you know, some of them are groups of saints, depending on what the, what the story is. But a um, great way to celebrate here today this solemnity of all saints, and also want to remind you that today is a holy day of obligation. If you have not made it to Mass this morning, please make plans to attend Mass today. I want to make sure that you find what time your local parish will be celebrating Mass here this afternoon or this evening, and make sure you attend for this great feast that we have today. And I know a lot of uh, parishes will be celebrating Mass tomorrow, too. If you have somebody that you've lost, the loved one that is passed on, it's a great way for you to pray for them as well for tomorrow, All Souls Day. And also want to encourage you to join us for a novena that we'll be praying here for 
all of the loved ones that we know that have left this life, that have gone on to the next. And you can, of course, join us together in prayer for the Holy Souls in Purgatory. We'll be praying three specific times during the day, starting tomorrow and for the next nine days. That's going to be during Mass, and that's heard right after this hour at noon central. We'll also pray together for the Holy Souls during the 3 o'clock hour, during the uh, Chaplet of Divine Mercy with Drew Mariani leading that, and then again at 7 o'clock Central in the evening with Father Rocky and the Family Rosary across America. Um, but right now, want to spend some time talking about a very well-known saint, and one of those people who uh, was really kind of called a saint, a living saint walking among us. And this is someone that most of us probably are familiar with, at least to one degree or another. But there's so much about her life that I think can inspire us and help us say, you know, there, there's more than just what you see kind of in what the media covered, in what the public eye had out there. And this is St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And joining us today to talk about her life, Father Joseph Ilo is here with us. Father Ilo is a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, the pastor of Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco. And Father Ilo, you've been connected with the Missionaries of Charity for quite a while. You've done different retreats for the sisters. How did you originally get connected with the Missionaries of Charity? Yes, well, Mother Teresa founded one of her novitiates here in San Francisco about, at the time, there were about um, 40 or 45 sisters here, and she would visit the city and hear the vows of her sisters or just be with them frequently, maybe every two or three years. So the first time I met her was in 1984. She'd come to visit the novitiate and stopped by where I was working at Ignatius Press here in San Francisco to pray the rosary with us and spend a little time with us. She knew the editor, Father Joseph Hesio, pretty well. And from then on, I would just visit with her when she came to San Francisco. And then finally in 1997, the year she died, I spent three weeks in Calcutta working with her sisters and, and the fathers there and did many masses in the mother house for her that, that in those three weeks. Got to know her on a personal basis, uh, but I've read so many books about her and given many retreats to her sisters. It's just a great blessing. Many priests have. Uh, she has priests all over the world giving retreats and seminars to her sisters. What a grace to get to know her personally, though. Well, and so, you know, as as you're talking about her, I think, as I mentioned, most of us have what we saw in the media, those of us who, you know, were living and seeing her work in, especially as it kind of came to prominence, late 70s, throughout the 80s, early 90s, um, you know, that, that last part of her life there. And how did you know you you talk about working there in Calcutta with her missionaries of charity spending some months there that's really kind of what drove her initially to answer that call to religious life just seeing the poor around her yes the, her spirituality really is there's three parts to it i would say first the thirst the infinite thirst of jesus for souls as he hung upon the cross, when he cried out, I thirst, it wasn't just a physical thirst, but a, a longing, a, a desperate thirst to receive love, to give love and to receive love to those who were crucifying him. Also, of, of course, to his mother and St. John, the others at the foot of the cross. But mother understood that to be the thirst of our Lord, the infinite thirst for her. And then once she understood how much with what divine insistence the, the lord thirsted for mother for her teresa's love she was able to return that by his grace and then the second part of her spirituality was to see jesus in every single person every person she met she saw jesus often as she said in his distressing disguise but she was given a thirst to love and then a thirst to satiate the thirst of all people for God, for love. 
She often said we were created for greater things to love and to be loved. She was a woman. She was a mother. And she understood love better than most. God gave her that insight. And I could go through the milestones of her life where we we, we would understand how that came about. Well, uh, right. But, well, uh, let's let's do that because you know, as she as she starts out, she ends up going into religious life, and even in religious life, I, there's this phrase that I remember her receiving a call within a call. And mm-hmm. it, and so, it, it like you say, there's these milestones. So yeah, if you can take us through some of those that lead up to her founding the Missionaries of Charity. Right. Well, she was born with the name of Agnes in 1910 in Skopje, Albania, which is now Macedonia. A very strong Catholic family, loving mother and father and two siblings. They were well off. Her father, Nicholas, was involved in Albanian politics, but apparently he was poisoned by political enemies when she was eight years old. He died. They became very poor, but her mother, Drana, was very devout and worked hard to support the family. Their parish was very uh, active. It was the Jesuit parish, Sacred Heart Parish there in Skopje. She belonged to the Sodality of Our Lady. But she was fascinated by the stories of missionaries, Jesuit missionaries. So at 18 years old, she leaves Loretto for Dublin to join the Loretto sisters, kind of a kind of a, 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 a women's order inspired by Ignatian Jesuit spirituality. And they sent her to Calcutta. So she learns English in Dublin. She learns Bengali in the capital of Bengal, which is Calcutta. In 1937, she takes final vows teaching in a kind of upper middle class girls school in uh, Antalya, a, a suburb of, or a section of Calcutta. Takes the name Teresa after St. Therese, but drops the H because there's already another sister Teresa in the order. But so her spirituality really is after St. Therese, the little flower, that is do small things with great love. And in 1942, this is kind of an unknown thing about her life. In April of 42, she made an extraordinary private vow to refuse Jesus nothing under pain of mortal sin. And Jesus would make good on that. He would call her on that vow when in 1946, September 10th, 46, she was on a train ride to Darjeeling in northern India for the annual retreat. And our Lord spoke to her. He wanted her to leave the more more or less comfortable life of the sisters at the school and go out into the streets and specifically said, come be my light. I need you to go into the dark holes of the poor. They do not know me and so they do not want me. And he insisted several times in later 1946 and 1947, mother went through a time of intense even ecstatic union with God, with three particular visions where the Lord repeated his request. She was hesitant. It meant leaving religious life as she knew it, founding a new order, or she didn't even know what it meant. Just she didn't know whether any sisters would join her. But our Lord said, wilt thou refuse? He said to her, I have asked you. She has asked you, pointing to his mother, wilt thou refuse? And this vow she had made four years earlier to deny him nothing under pain of mortal sin. So she said, I will go into the holes of the poor. I will be your light. I will do what no one really has done, which is to care for the poorest of the poor in the poorest city in the world. And so in 1948, she put on a simple cotton sari with a blue border and went out into the streets. And she started just teaching. There was a slum, actually. You could almost see it from the school that she was teaching at over the wall, Motigil, the uh, slum section. And she started teaching the street children how, how to read, teaching them their letters with a stick in the dirt. 
and it grew from there. But it was very difficult for her. She wrote in her diary, Our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. While looking for a home, I walked and walked till my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul, looking for a home, food, and health. Then the comfort of Loretto, that is her former religious order, came to tempt me. You have only to say the word, and all that will be yours again, the tempter kept on saying. That is, she would, the tempter was saying, you can go back to the Loretto convent, be a school teacher again, be safe, be, uh, have three meals a day, have warm, supportive community. Mother continues, of free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. And that really sums up why she is an extraordinary saint or why anybody is a saint, because they surrender themselves in loving trust and cheerfulness to the will of God. Yeah, that that theme of trust is so important there, because in those early years, it's not only is she walking around looking for, you know, where where is a home that I can set up, that we can, you know, this this new community that is starting to come about— but she's also literally having to beg for food and for supplies. So she wants to help those in need, but she's doing it by begging, by becoming one of those people. And, you know, that as you're talking about Jesus calling to her, make good on your promise. I'm asking you, here's my Blessed Mother asking you, will you respond? He didn't say, here's the whole plan. Here's how it's all going to work. Mm. He mm-hmm. just said, will you trust me? Will you step out? And that's, I think that's the scariest part right there for any of us is, yeah, I'd like a little bit more information before I just step out and trust you, God. And, and you know, God doesn't want that. He just wants our trust. Right. And Our Lady did that when the angel Gabriel said, will right. you be the mother of the And she, she didn't say, well, let me check with my my insurance agent or my lawyer or my my, my intended husband. Another example would be St. Francis of Assisi. He just went out and and he left everything behind. So it's these kinds of uh, radical uh, trust saints that really arrest our attention. And, and that's, what, that's why she, I think, is very emblematic of the 20th century. Well, and to the point that then skip ahead, uh, really about 30 years, she's been doing this work, things are starting to grow, mm-hmm. and I think this is where we really kind of, as a world, take notice, because in 1979 she's awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, but the right. as soon as she's awarded it, she refuses to attend the normal celebration banquet that she, that's supposed to be held in her honor, and she asks that at that time it was one hundred ninety-two thousand that would have been spent for the banquet. Instead, she requests that that be donated to the poor in India, and so we see her even in that in that recognition, saying, "No, let's let's just keep on doing the work that we're already doing here for the last thirty years." Yeah, the question is, how did she not become, how did she not lose her edge when she became famous, when people started throwing money at her? Let me just go back a little bit. So in 1950, finally, they or, the order is recognized by the Diocese of Calcutta. In 1952, she opens the famous Home for the Dying, mm-hmm. Kaligat. 1953, the Leprosy, Leprosy Center and 1965 opens the first house outside of India in Venezuela. 1969, uh, Malcolm Muggeridge propels her into world recognition by his BBC documentary called Something Beautiful for God and his book following that. And then, as you say, 1979, uh, that's cemented by her receiving the Nobel Prize. But all this time, she was experiencing a dark night of the soul. She felt that God did not love her. She, she says, 
terrible things. I mean, terrible in the sense of awesome and, and really um, amazing things in her diaries and her letters to her spiritual directors and the uh, Archbishops of Calcutta. She says, the faith that I have is just a mask. The smile is just a charade. I'm devastated. I, I don't believe that God loves me. And so she had, of course, the physical poverty of the poor. As you say, she lived like the poor. The only way she would really understand the poor is to be one of them on a material level. But she also felt the complete abandonment of the poor the, and, and the poorest of the poor, which would be Jesus on the cross. And God allowed her to suffer that. And probably until the last few months, when I worked with her in 1997, five months before she died, she seemed to have a um, a calm about her that I had never seen before when she was in San Francisco. She wasn't busy. Of course, she wasn't the general of the order anymore. Sister Nirmala had taken over earlier that year. But many think that she, um, her dark night had lightened up in the in the last year of her life, and she was able to just rest in the Lord. The, the work was done. The battle was over. But for 50 years, it was a day-by-day struggle to believe that, even to believe in God's existence. She said she wasn't an atheist. She hadn't lost her faith, but she felt like she lost her faith. And that's what led her to keep her edge, that she was continually the poorest of the poor on a spiritual, material level, both. And so she could understand what people felt like who uh, that are abandoned by family. She said she picked up the first woman of 47,000 that she picked up, uh, more than that even, but at the time she was making this um, testimony in probably 1979 or 1985, she said, I picked up the first woman from the gutter covered with worms, dying, and that was that was the beginning of um, loving the Jesus and the poorest of the poor because she she knew she was abandoned. She herself felt like she was eaten by worms and rejected by everyone, including God. That dark night of the soul didn't come out until after her, you know, during the process of her canonization right. after she was dead. Right. Well, you know, one of the other things that I think is really important to talk about here, too, we're talking about a lot of the things that we, we saw her doing, but mm. the there's that visible work of her life, helping those in need, but her work was always centered around prayer, especially spending time mm-hmm. daily with Jesus praying there in front of the Eucharist. And, you know, that... that uh, Ignatian spirituality that you talked about that was kind of that that foundation of her starting out. Ignatius talks about how we experience times of consolation and desolation, and I don't think anybody would ever think that somebody would experience desolation for decades, but she did, and she she didn't stop doing what Ignatius teaches, you know, don't don't change your routine, don't change your habit. And so she and her sisters daily would be spending time in prayer as the way to make sure that they could do that work that was then seen so visibly. That's right. She had a deep Ignatian spirituality. She was formed by the Jesuit-inspired Loretto Order, and she took that into her work and her prayer. The most important thing for Mother, and she said this so many times, it's not the work. It's, It's our relationship with Jesus. That's what motivates all the work. People could hardly understand how this simple woman from Skopje could form a worldwide organization, could receive the Nobel Peace Prize without flinching. And and now we know, go through this dark night for 50 years. And she did that because of her prayer life. I want to read to you something she writes. She, she says, prayer is simply talking to God. He speaks to us, we listen. We speak to him, he listens. Love to pray. Feel the need to pray often during the day and take the trouble to pray. If you want to pray better, you must pray more. So if you want to pray better, you must pray more. So 
prayer is difficult if you don't know how, she said, but you'll learn how to do it by just sitting there in silence. And so I'd say the most important part of her spirituality was silence, interior and exterior silence, listening to God, spending hours. The missionaries of charity would spend about five hours a day in prayer. People think they're great social workers and they have soup kitchens and aid shelters and all this other stuff, which is true. But it's only made possible by the five hours a day they spend in prayer together. Uh, you know, as you're talking about this too, and we're just about out of time here, but Father, you mentioned you've read a number of books on the life of St. Mother Teresa. Uh, maybe a top one or two that you might recommend if somebody wants to learn more about her life? Sure. Well, the first one I'd start with is Malcolm Muggeridge's Something Beautiful for God. I think it's 1970, but still in print somewhere. We can get a used copy. It's a small book, easy to read. Uh, he's he's a masterful journalist and storyteller, something beautiful for God. The other one, um, Father Brian is her postulator, and um, Kolodiechuk, I never know how to pronounce Father Brian's name, last name, but uh, anyway, Father Brian has written several in-depth studies from his uh, research into her life, and the one I would recommend is Where There Is Love, There Is God by Father Brian. All right. Excellent. And then finally, another one. Go one ahead, last Father. one. Yes. Love, of, Love of Fruit Always in Season, uh, published by Ignatius Press. It's daily meditations. I, the thing is to find, uh, to read what Mother actually said, because there are so many books about her, but the best thing, and, and the movie they just came out is, is pretty good, but the best thing is just to read actually what she wrote to her sisters, her, her own words. Wonderful. Again, Father Joseph Ilo here with us today as on the Solemnity of All Saints, talking about the great stories of these saints, great stories about great saints, and that will continue all day long here. Uh, Father, we've got about 30 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners as we conclude the hour? Through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary and of all the saints, through the intercession in particular of St. Teresa of Calcutta, may God bless all of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks again. Always good to talk with you, Father Ilo. And again, stay with us here. We've got Mass that's going to start next on Relevant Radio in just a few moments. After that, well, Cale Clark on The Faith Explained, he's going to be looking at the life of St. Paul, St. Boniface, St. Willibrod, and so much more coming up throughout the rest of this day. Of course, if you joined us late, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, which will be available on our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. You can find it either place. It'll be posted shortly here. Of course, because today is a holy day of obligation, if you haven't made it to Mass yet, I want to encourage you, make sure you find out what time your parish is celebrating Mass and make plans to attend. Have a blessed day.